I felt like I had to take everything that was a simple data structure and elevate it into an entity. And and it just like didn't add value and it made everything more complicated. And I just, I think about- Shame on you. Do you feel better now? All the time (laughs) that I spend trying to figure it out. Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 153. And on today's show, Carol's out sick. I hope you feel better, Carol. But the other three of us, we're going to do a potluck. We're going to talk about failures, log levels, and pre-mortems. But first, as usual, we'll start with the triumphs and fails. Like I said, Carol's out sick. So, Tim, you're up first, man. Man, so it's been a little over a week since we recorded last. And I guess I'll go with the failure here. I feel like I maybe wrote 20 lines of code this past week. I mean, I've done work. But as far as coding-wise, like, mm-hmm. you know. I need to break stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're uh, you're you're higher up in the company, right? You're some sort of a muckety muck. How I'm the director. You, okay, well, sure, yeah, you got one of those words in front of your title. How much mm-hmm. do you identify as a coder versus a manager? Hundred percent. Hundred percent got that coder blood. Hundred percent coder. But it's like when I'm not doing it, I don't feel like I'm. I feel like I'm not working. You know, I'm doing do taking meetings, talking to legal, talking to marketing. I feel like all I'm doing is talking. It doesn't feel like I'm working. Yeah, and so I feel a bit guilty about that. I mean, the 20 lines of code I wrote were, you know, important bangers. They were bangers. Yeah, they 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 were they were they were awesome. But I just like, what was my output this week? And, and a lot of it's like talking to the team and making, you know, they alerted me to some previous decisions that they made that. So we have multiple companies, right? So we're all owned by one huge giant corporation called Constellation Software out of Canada. And over sister companies, they had an SSO server and we just kind of glommed onto that one. I didn't realize some very mission critical part of our stuff is, is that's not live yet, but it's going to be, was it's using their SSO. I'm like, why are they using theirs? What, what happens if they start messing around with it and they break it? They're like, okay. well, it, it was ours. I'm like, well, no, we need to, that needs to be aligned. We need to either like use like a cloud version of SSO or put our own server up. Cause I don't, don't like, I don't like intermixing companies' mm. priorities. Right. So I do that. But again, it doesn't feel like I'm really working. <laughs> That's just me telling someone else to work. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> your force multiplier there. No, I feel like a jerk. <laughs> I feel like a complete jerk. It's like, oh, you go do that. I don't know how to do it. So you do it. You're the <laughs> April Ludgate of Constellation Software. I don't get Parks that and, reference. Parks and Recreation. Oh, you know, I started watching Parks and Rec and I got like the first few episodes in and I just, I just couldn't finish. But I hear it The gets first better. season is tough to get through. It, they didn't really like figure out how the show should feel until season two, but it is so worth it. I yeah, high, strong good. recommend. All right, we, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get into it. We watched it years ago, and to this day, we're constantly saying, you got jammed for like anything <laughs> that goes wrong. Which... DJ Roomba. <laughs> Feed yourself. So, Yo. so, so, so hold on. So, so as uh, Adam likes to make fun of me, riding on people's coattails, typically I talk about my, <laughs> my, my son. And, you know, yeah, and, well, that's the thing, Tim. You're so perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. I got to have right. something. You got to make yeah. up yeah, uh, okay. an insult. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll take haters however I can get them. But uh, I have to brag on my daughter. So I, I talked earlier about my daughter. She went to one-act play, which is the thing I did in high school where they it's competitive acting, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but it's true. They did a home show. So they did two shows, one on last Thursday and then one this past Saturday and watched the play. And it was hilarious. It really was. It, you know, I, I was very proud of her. She's She's not... She's not a very outgoing person. She's very personable, but she's not really outgoing person. But she was so funny. And this play, this play was hilarious. It really was. I mentioned it before, but it was called the 25th Annual Putnam County County Spelling Bee. And it's a bunch of kids, you know, doing a spelling bee. Mm -hmm. And just some of the, like, particularly like uh, her line was they gave her a word and they said, please spell a coochie. (laughs) (laughs) And her line is, I'm sorry, what? A uh, coochie. 
<laughs> at a spelling bee? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> and it, it, it's actually a word. It means it's some sort of rodent from South America. Mm. And, and her shtick is, so each like contestant has like a certain uh, thing that they do. So that they spell. So one guy, he has a magic foot. He'll like spell, he'll use his toe and write the word out on the floor. And it's a whole song called magic. But well, hers is she goes into like this trance. She says, I'm, I, I don't know the word. And then all of a sudden she goes into this trance and like starts spelling the word out. Like, see, it's just screaming it. Right. <laughs> And her song is "I'm Not That Smart." So uh, the, the, she's homeschooled. The character is homeschooled. The char- character's name is Leaf. First name's Leaf. I forget what Leaf. Leaf Coney Bear. That's the that's the name. And she's homeschooled, and like everyone in her family tells her she's stupid. And her song is "I'm Not That Smart." <laughs> and she sings this song about how she's not that smart. But then, like at, they do a reprise of the song later, and like she's like faking it she's like she pretends to be dumb because she's actually smarter than all of them so it was it was was really funny sounds like it would be good yep so i saw it twice and yeah they did good so just just proud of her carrying on the acting tradition in our family yeah when does she land on netflix we'll see we'll see (laughs) she got cut out of god's one of the godzilla movies she had like a close-up shot that was like awesome and then they cut it so oh crazy Uh, did i tell you guys about that no i i don't recall that so the like the first Godzilla King of Monsters, they had a scene where all these like warriors were going to go at, you know, fight the, the Kaiju. And she was the daughter of one of them. And it was just her. It was just her, me and the director on, on set. And the camera guy was and there was like this whole set there. And the, the scene was, she was like on an iPad saying goodbye to her daddy, you know, I, and, and so they're zooming in on her on the couch and she had to cry. Right. So they wanted her to cry. So she's, and because, you know, your background, you're not allowed to actually talk. So you have to mouth the words. You can't actually say anything. It's just, she's looking into the little iPad. She's like, I love you, daddy. I love you. And she's not actually saying the words. He's like, okay, so we need you to cry. And normally they'll put like clove oil right. under your eyelid and then they'll, they'll use like a little puffer, a puff of air to like blow in your eye. She didn't need that at all. He's like, can, do you think you can cry? She goes, yeah, I can do that. And she's, this was years Dang. ago. She's probably, she's probably 12 years old at the time. And so she's just looking straight into the iPad or actually in the camera and just this perfect little tear <laughs> rolls down her cheek. And he looks at me, the director looks at me and goes, she's good. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, that surprised me. I didn't know she could do that. <laughs> yeah. It makes you put it into question all those years. Huh? Yeah. All those, don't, don't spank me, daddy. Uh. Okay, you were cr- crocodile tears. So, yeah. But anyway, that's me. I don't really work that hard, and my daughter's awesome. So. <laughs> you don't worry, you, we won't tell anybody. Thanks. Nobody yeah. listens to this. No one's listening to this anyway. All right, how about you, Adam? I'm going to go with a triumph. I've got a couple of things on my list here, so it could go either way. But the thing that's striking a nerve with me right now that I did within the last week is I wrote this pretty neat, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it a decorator. It's, it's sort of a, it, it's just a CFC, right? So we're talking about Cold Fusion Code. Nice. And it's got a constructor method and you pass that constructor method and instantiated and attached, like a session attached, I guess is the right word soup for it, for a, a ORM entity, right? So you, mm-hmm. you, you create an instance of my, of my, did you, yeah, or something? ORM. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not a fan, but uh, you know, the code you got is the code you got and you got to make it work, right? Like. Anyway, so you create an instance of my CFC, you pass it an entity to the constructor, and then you just treat it like normal, right? So you say, get this property, set this property, whatever. And then it, because of the way that ColdFusion ORM works, you can't just, it, it's not a true decorator. And this is why I say it's not a decorator, because you can't just say entity save my CFC that contains your CFC, right? You have to like get your entity back out and to pass it to entity save to save the changes that you made to that record, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the one place where it fails as a decorator, but I think that that's less of a failure of my code than it is of just the the way the ColdFusion ORM stuff works. Like there's no, there's not really a good way to do decorators in ColdFusion. Anyway, so I got as close as I could there. And the whole point of it was to make atomic logging of record changes super easy. So it wraps an entity. And then as you're calling different setters on it, whatever changes compared to whatever the current value is, it's logging only those per column changes. So you could, you know, take a column that's got 50, I'm sorry, you could take a row that's got 50 columns, 
change three of them. And, you know, and then you say, okay, give me the entity back so that I can save it. And also give me the changes so I can audit that. And you get back like an array of the three columns and their before and after values. So that it makes it super easy to log those things, which was, it was kind of funny. It was like a lightning in a bottle moment, right? You know, it's like, how am I going to do this? This just doesn't, it just like, I kind of tried two or three different things. And then finally I was like, wait a minute, let me try this. And I, and I did it and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is pretty awesome. And it's like, it makes use of on missing method to, to do the getters and setters. And there's some logic about like, I only want to do it for, I guess, in cold fusion parlance, they're called simple values, like Booleans, strings and numbers. Right. So if you pass in a null or if you pass in another entity instance for like a relationship set sort of thing, it just ignores those in terms of the the atomic changes tracking. But all the all the simple values get tracked for atomic changes. So I re- it's pretty I cool. Saw, I saw you posted that on the Discord and it's like someone took an exception. I think it was Sean. With, mm-hmm. with the code, <laughs> how the code was done. The screenshots, yeah. Uh, his eyes were burning, apparently, from, yeah, from looking at it. Yeah, because of my use of getters and setters. And it, uh, to be honest, it wasn't even my use. But hey, that's that's the code. You know, it is what it is. You got to start where you're at. So It'd be cool if there was a on-missing property handler as well. I think maybe there might be in Lucy. I can't remember. It, because... It, Go ahead, explain this to me. What would on missing property do? So in in the same way where you can have the on missing method get invoked if you say object.foo and foo doesn't exist as a method mm-hmm. call, it'll call that. If you just did object.foo as a property call. Okay. The same way you might do like cgi.htp underscore refer. Yep. And if that didn't exist, you could invoke a method and essentially like fill out values that, that don't exist. It'd be cool if you could do an Elvis operator hmm. with a function at the other side. Hmm. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Like, like if you think about a JavaScript proxy, which I've, to be fair, have only used I think once in my entire life, mm-hmm. you can essentially intercept every single possible way to access an object, and one of them yeah. is is the missing property stuff, or like you're not missing, but you can just intercept any property, and you can right. intercept method calls, you can intercept getters and setters, and I think there's a couple of other things you can also intercept. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just like a, it was kind of a fun little coding thing. Like Tim mentioned, I'm kind of getting into this point of my, my career, I guess I'll say, where it's like a, a good chunk of my time is spent doing things that are not writing code. Like today, for example, I spent maybe two hours like reading through the co-op program of a local college to like, how am I going to get involved in and like hire some interns or, or co-op students to to help us out and Yo, that sort of thing it's like it's not coding but it's going to help us should we change the name of this podcast to not working code <laughs> Pod, well, so between you working on more managerial stuff and and tim apparently never writing code <laughs> 20 lines that's like two a day <laughs> one thing that i think would be an interesting maybe not a topic but maybe just a segment would be so there's all these different roles that you can have in a team. So there's engineers, and then there's you know lead engineers and staff, and and then there's product managers, and there's project managers, and there's engineering managers. And sometimes I'll see people at work do things, and I think to myself, that's not really your job. And and I say that in part because I will never want to do that role, and 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 I use my role a little bit as protection to not do certain things, which I know is like not the best way to think about teamwork. But anyway, (laughs) I think it would be interesting to have a list of activities and then have to put them into a bucket, like Like negotiating contract prices on reserved instances for Amazon. Like, is that an engineering manager doing that? Is that a principal engineer? Is that a, you know, a financial guy doing that? Like whose job is it to do that thing? Given the fact that there are people available to do the work and not like, yeah, Johnny's wearing his engineering hat today and his PM hat tomorrow and his HR hat the next how, day. Like, How much money do you have to spend at Amazon to, to have the kind of cred where you can negotiate on their prices? <laughs> well, that was just that was just something I pulled out of my butt here. <laughs> okay. I was, I was like, wait a minute. 
Those things are negotiable. Okay, well, maybe they're negotiable if you spend enough money. Like, right? They say everything is negotiable, right? Like, I think well, every time Amazon's ever contacted me, it's always like, hey, so you, you've reached a certain level, and you know, you can. It's always like, basically, they just want you to spend more money. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole call. They're like, so are you using this? Are you using that? I'm like, I don't need that. I don't need this. And they just yeah. like, okay, we're not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've been getting those emails that are like, hey, we, you know, I'm your designated account representative or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like. You know, we just want to have a check-in, make sure that you're making the most of the services mm-hmm. you're paying for. And I'm like, those calls. Are I know exactly what you want to talk about, and I am <laughs> you wanna, not interested. You want to upsell us? Ignore. It's, so, Ben, I'll, I'll tell you that. It, so, in our organization, you know, there's different ways to, to do that. But it's like, so, you know, we'll have people that will like say, okay, you guys know what you need, so you guys, you know, suggest it. But then we always have some bean counter up at the top. It's like justifying it right so if we don't do this what will be the cause and if we do do this what's going to be the benefit right and, and sometimes you just put them like you know what you i can't even explain it to you in a way that you will even understand all you do is like push numbers around on excel <laughs> so just just trust me but they they never take that answer so you have to make sometimes you just have to make stuff up and go oh yeah yeah we would lose like a million dollars if we don't do this and like, Oh, we can't do that. Okay. Yeah. I was sign it. <laughs> Jesus. Cool. Uh, well that's, I guess that's enough riffing on my entity decorator. So Ben, how about you, man? I'm going to go with two fails. One, one small fail is, so it's finally cold here up in the Northeast. I live in New York. I woke up the other morning. It was 24 degrees and uh, we just gave our dog a haircut. And so I put on her winter jacket to take her for a walk and the winter jacket barely fit her. It was like a, it was like a doggy Spanx control top kind of a thing. <laughs> and I just, I feel the so bad. Collab. Yeah, I have let her get fat, and I've teased her about it for a while now. But it was sort of she had such long hair. It was you could sort of say like, oh, it's just the hair. It's not really her. But we she's got her fat. Hair. She's fluffy. Yeah, yeah. She's she turns out she's fat, and I, <laughs> she, I feel I okay, feel bad. It. I gotta we gotta start feeding her less because it's. She's just a sausage. How's um, she handling that? <laughs> the, the the constant mocking or the eating? <laughs> no, the eating because because we have a, we have a you know pugs tend to be very over. So we have our, our male pug and this guy. He after he had like his testicles removed, he got really. We didn't eat them, by the way. We did not, we didn't <laughs> just just before Adam jumps in, <laughs> we did not we did not cook them. And, and too close to got, home. Yeah, too close to home. And uh, he just got chunky, chunky. And so we like, so we had like a half cup, we, you know, per of kibble per meal, like two meals a day. We went to like a quarter cup and that dog lost his freaking mind. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, you know, we're not feeding her because we want her to get fat. We're feeding her because she's, you know, to be honest, she's just a jerk sometimes. And you're like, how do I, <laughs> I can close your mouth by putting food in it is, is the, is the approach. And we just have to be better about redirecting her energy or something i mean we've clearly we've clearly taken some wrong turns in an effort to avoid parenting i suppose <laughs> so anyway so, so so that's one fail and then the other fail is so i'm trying to round out the the draft of my book on feature flags and mm-hmm. i think i mentioned this before conceptually the book is sort of in two halves the first half is a technical component and then the second half is kind of a personal inter interpersonal component mm-hmm. and i'm really having trouble finding the words in the second half and kind of getting my thoughts onto the page. And it's just, it it doesn't feel like it's gelling because I think it's much more, I don't know. I think maybe I'm trying to make it longer than the book needs to be. And I'm, and I'm just, I'm hitting a wall in terms of creating a story, but I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, go ahead. I I volunteer as tribute, man. Send it my way. I'll copy you know, I'll read it and, and let you know what I appreciate that. So I have I have one chapter left that is not at least at full draft. And I want to get that done before I, I share it with anyone. Only because then I think I can I'll do a quick I'll do a read of it through myself and and move chapters around or do some more tweaking or there's probably stuff I've completely forgotten about but have since remembered but didn't remember to go back and put it in. So I wanna I wanna get that final chapter in draft and then i can do a read through and feel like is it crazy is it is there is it is it making sense is it cohesive is there a storyline etc and then and then i'll try to start getting maybe some feedback cool anyway so that's me it's i've been writing this book now for about two and a half months and it's it's 
it's, it's feeling like a point. slog. It's feeling yeah. like a slog. I, I, I kind of just want to be done already at this point. And yep. It's not even so much that I, I want to be done with the writing. I want to take the time that I'm writing and now do other things. I don't want to mm-hmm. spend that time writing anymore. I want to get back to blogging. I want to get back to Angular 17 just came out. That's very exciting. They've done some huge revamping. People are talking about Angular as having a new renaissance, which is very exciting for me as someone Hmm. who loves Angular. Um, Those may, you know, those might all be people on the Angular team saying that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just, I'm getting itchy. You know, I got, I'm getting that cabin fever. Yeah, I saw a mutual friend of all of ours on Facebook recently talking about, you know, I guess he got laid off a while back and and uh, he's gotten to the point where he's yeah. looking for a job and he said that every job posting is looking for that he react. I guess every job posting that he's run across is looking for react developers and he doesn't want to put uh, react on his resume uh, yet because he like he knows it but he doesn't know it know it you know yeah. like so yeah it's yeah. a brave new world apparently companies looking for react are having trouble keeping engineers that's all I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right, so those are my fails. Okay, cool. So, uh, Tim, how are you a failure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm the king of segues, aren't I? You are. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty, pretty. That was so smooth. No one saw that coming. So, <laughs> I was listening to Freakonomics podcast the other day. So you actually, do listen like, to podcasts? Well, actually, it was in the car. It was in the, on the radio. And I'm so, like, this is really good. This is really, really good. So I went and got NPR one, uh, NPR 1 on my phone. I'm like, what was that called? There's an episode called... is a, a four-part series about failures. And this one is called Grit versus Quit. Okay. And so there were several different portions of this podcast. And they talked about, you know, the American way is like, you just grit it out, keep fighting, keep fighting. But, you know, at some point, it's like, it's it's the uh, sunk cost fallacy. You just can't keep throwing energy after energy into something if if it's never going to happen. But and, and part of the, I think the whole idea that we just think gritting it out is better than quitting, you know, when you need to quit, is that people don't talk about their failures mm-hmm. enough. People all we see is the winners in life. They talk about you know oh I built this company. And, you know, I had a good idea and it turned into a multi-billion dollar company. Well, that was the one success. They don't talk about the 15 or, t- you know, however many other companies that they started that failed because some ridiculous number of companies, uh, particularly startups, like 90% of startups fail mm-hmm. and, and, and like more than half of, of small businesses that start up fail. Yeah. What uh, is that? Like survivor bias, basically? Yeah. Survivor bias, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. You, you, all, all you talk about is stuff you did right and the things that you want at and everybody's like well i failed so i must not be as good as them so there was this researcher's academic researcher she put started she put out her she called it her cv of failures her so for americans Mm -hmm. cv is the curriculum vitae it's what europeans call their resume and so she put all the, the the research papers all the things that she put out there that never got accepted and then some other big muckety muck in the in the academic world put that out there, and I just thought that was interesting. It's like, you know, we she actually like sh- published this. Yeah, she published this, right? Okay. It didn't get much didn't get much traction until the other person who was much more known in the community put his out, and then it sort of became a thing of just you know letting people know it's like, you know, if you if you've had like ten research papers proposals or grant proposals rejected, don't feel bad. These mm-hmm. very successful people did too. And I just thought about that too, you know, on our podcast, you know, to our credit, pat ourselves on the back, we do it, we do a triumph and a fail every week, but I don't think we've ever talked about what were our biggest like career failures, Mm. like things that we tried and just either didn't work or ideas that we had that we pursued that just didn't pan out. We, We tend to, we as humans, not we as a, us here on the, on the show tend to you know, focus on the the, fa- the successes rather than the failures. So I just thought it might be interesting to, to pass that around the room and say, you know, if you had a CV of failures, what would be some of the more embarrassing or more painful lessons in your professional career? Because I don't want to get into personal stuff. This mm. is a CV, not a, <laughs> not a, uh, I drank too much and I lost a million dollars in Vegas. You know, that's whatever. Um, I wish I had a million dollars to lose in Vegas. Jeez. <laughs> Still paying it off. Yes. So one yeah. kneecap at a time. Exactly. 
Well, I think one of the very interesting things in one of those episodes, because I also listen to Freakonomics, love it, one of my favorite podcasts, is that they were saying in the scientific world, it's actually a huge disservice because people, so the scientific method is you have a thesis and then you test the thesis, but they're saying Mm -hmm. that that's not really how it works in the real world, that usually what happens is a scientist has like 12 different theses that they have interest in experimenting with. And so they run all the experiments and then they find an outcome that matches one of the theses. And then they sort of work backwards and say, well, this was the thesis the whole time. And here's the experiment we run and here's the outcome Mm -hmm. we got. So they, they publish the thing that worked, but they don't publish the other 11 experiments that didn't work at all. And because of that, no one else gets to know that they tried that and yeah. no one else gets to say, hey, let me not try that because it's already been proven to not be the right approach. And- well, the other thing about that particularly, scientific research publishing, is that you don't just decide, hey, I'm going to publish this, you know, I'm going to write a blog post about my research that I did that that went nowhere and it was totally pointless and I wasted a year of my life on that. You submit that as mm-hmm. a proposal to publish in a in a variety of different scientific journals right so you can mm-hmm. publish to nature or science or whatever and the the journal itself has to accept it and they like they try i guess in in theory I, i'm not a scientific researcher i don't know any of this for sure but from what i've heard you know they try to adjust for their biases but they're also trying to sell publications right like they if it's just a whole magazine full of, I tried this and it didn't work. And then somebody else says, I tried this and it didn't work. Like it's not gonna be a very interesting magazine. Right. So they have to like, they're still, it's just like the news on TV, right? That nobody would pay attention if there wasn't some reason to look right. There's gotta be clickbait. Right. right basically. Right. So there, that's just how like bias sneaks into the scientific research too. Like it's not just that they don't write about the, the stuff that didn't work out. Or, you know, the other 99% of their research, it's that they can't because nobody cares, <laughs> basically. Well, and we see that even in the technology because world. Because it doesn't sell. Where some, it's not uncommon to read some article like, our team switched to React and now suddenly we're operating at super speeds or we finally switched to a Golang and now we've reduced our processing mm-hmm. by 10,000%. Mm-hmm. But you're not reading about all the teams who tried similar things and completely failed and yeah. that wasn't the right choice. Because yeah. to your point, it's not, you know, one, there's shame in in usually announcing things like that publicly. You might not even be allowed to because of the company yeah. that you're working for. And and it's just people don't want to do it. And then you 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 enter this echo chamber where you're hearing only the positive outcomes. People often talk about Steve Jobs. As, as being this mastermind and you know, he was kind of a jerk to a lot of people and you say was he successful because he was a jerk or was he successful in spite of the fact that right. he was a jerk and he just happened to be one of the people who survived with that trait mm-hmm. i mean his was he whole, a jerk because he was successful and his whole next what was the computer the, the next mm-hmm. computer yeah. yeah i mean that was that was a failure yep and we no one's talking about next these days right they're talking about about apple you know that was a success that after he came back the second time after he was fired the first time right Mm -hmm. so so uh, so i'll go first i'll talk about so i worked the same company the same 23 years so i've not had a whole i've had a pretty good cushion against failure but i have had some so in between i had a fit we had a family business that, that i was a part of and then after my my parents sold the company i had a period there where i was trying to just be a freelance programmer right and this is early days of of internet right so it's like you know this is myspace days this is you know aol dial-up days kind of thing Mm -hmm. but you know i was like i was super excited about it and i thought you know everyone everyone needs a website i had a website you know i created my own website so you know everyone needs one so i started going to businesses and trying to sell it to them and it's like i just couldn't get people to see the need for it Mm. and so it's like Fortunately, I had, you know, another source of income, but like if, if that had been my only gig, yeah, I, I would have starved, totally starved. And, and then another one. So this one is not coding related, but just because of my wife's interest in special effects makeup and, you know, Georgia being, you know, sort of the Southeastern, you know, Hollywood, 
of Yollywood of, of America. Um, <laughs> I had made friends with, there was a TV show here called, I think it was on FX. It was, it was called, it was sci-fi channel. It was called uh, Face Off where they had like, it was a reality competition where they had like special effects makeup artists and they competed. Well, I became friends through just different channels with several of them, particularly a guy named uh, RJ Hattie. And so we put together a, a conference that where we would teach, it was a three day, three day conference where we would teach people who are interested in like special effects, makeup, Hollywood makeup, that sort of thing. Three days, you know, paid conference. I think people paid like six, $700 to do this, you know, to come to that. And I told them from the beginning, I'm like, listen, if we break even the first year, it's a win. And I guess he didn't hear that because <laughs> we did break even. We did not lose money. But he, in his mind, it's like he, you know, he wanted to get paid. You know, he's like, and, and so I, it was a failure for me. For, for me, actually, I thought we had, you know, we'd done good. And people are like, can you do this again? But he was so upset that he didn't make any money off of it. Mm. And part of it was because we, he had it at a, at a, a, a place that was called the engineer guy. And the engineer guy sells like all the silicon latex, all the stuff that is used for it. And we just pulled from their stock. And we weren't really selling it. The only thing we were selling was basically the membership. And so the engineer guy made a huge amount of money because like while people were there, they were buying his stuff. Mm-hmm. He made a huge amount of money. And then the instructors were pulling from inventory to do their tutorials. And so we wound up, all the profit that we had wound up, we had to pay the engineer guy company for all the product we used during that. And that's where all the profit went. So there was zero profit. Have we not... Had we had our own product and we're selling it, we probably would have made thirty, forty thousand dollars off that mm. conference that him and I would have split, but we didn't. And so I'm like, listen, this is a win. We, you know, next time we'll know better. But he was like, no, we're not doing this anymore. He's like, if you want to keep the name, because I had bought the domain name. I'm like, you know what? You take it. You have it. I don't, I don't care. And we never did it again. I think it was a shame because I, you know, it's like I see other folks that kind of took the idea that we had and they're doing it and being very successful with it, but. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. And, and he hasn't really spoken to me since. So that's kind of it. Cause we like, we, we, we were like tight. We had meetings every week and I enjoyed hanging out with him. He's a good guy, but yeah, I feel bad about it. I lost a friend and, but we didn't lose any money. He, so he lost gas money driving down there. So sucks. Well, I guess in some ways I'm going to call this a little bit of a personal triumph. And that is that I don't tend to dwell in my mortifications. So I'm sure that, you know, several, very negative things have happened to me professionally throughout my career, but I just don't, you know, I live in the moment. I think I've told you guys something similar to that, you know, many times. I just, Ooh, squirrel. <laughs> I just don't, I don't sit around and introspect about the recent past or the, you know, like, hey, this is what's going on in my life today and this is what I'm going to deal with, right? And then I'm going to go have fun tomorrow and I'm going to do the thing after that. Anyway, so I, I've been sitting here trying to rack my brain and I've only come up with two things that I, I will put in the fail category. I don't think either one of them was like damaging, but they, I think they both had potential and for lack of skill or, or for lack of uh, effort or something on my part, they just kind of petered out and went nowhere. So the first one that I'm going to say is, do you guys remember? This was a open source project of mine and I called it ramen as in the food. Does that ring a bell for either of you? No. no. Okay. So, do you remember in Adobe Cold Fusion, there was a way to add like custom, I think they called it extensions to the Cold Fusion administrator, right? Mm-hmm. So, you could like write your own code and then like it's like an XML file or something that you like pop, yeah, pop in yeah. and it adds menu items on to, to the navigation bar on in the Cold Fusion administrator. And so, Ramen was an attempt of mine to sort of put together a package manager for Cold Fusion. This was well before ForgeBox. This was well before, you know, like, what is it? Command Box, the CLI, mm-hmm. all that. And the, the idea was, uh, you know, people could, it was inspired by Node, right? So that you would have some sort of like a package JSON or something like that that would describe the, the package. And then it would all just be hosted on GitHub, which they tell you you're not supposed to do. But, it, you know, it's early days. I was just trying to like proof of concept this thing, right? <laughs> I'm not paying together, paying to put together like a CDN and all that junk. Like let's let's get kicked off of GitHub before we start investing any money in this thing. Anyway, the idea was like, you know, you'd you'd publish your thing and, and maybe like send a pull request to the registry and then your stuff would start showing up as like one click installs inside of the Cold Fusion administrator. 
And like, I remember, I like I set it up so that Taffy could be installed that way. I remember our friend Nathan Struts gave me some support. You know, he was, I remember him talking about it. He might've submitted a couple of things to it, but it never really went anywhere. And I was, I was always very bummed about that. I felt like it had potential, but you know, honestly, with the benefit of hindsight, I think that a good chunk of the reason why that didn't go anywhere is also a good chunk of the reason why I kind of just decided to move away from cold fusion in general. Like Mm -hmm. the, the community is there. There are plenty of people that get paid to write cold fusion code, but as a rule of thumb, which does not apply to everybody. So, you know, individuals who are thinking, Hey, that's not me. I'm, I'm super passionate. <laughs> I'm not talking about you, but uh, I'm talking about the other 99% of people don't give, you know, they they, they show up, they write some code, you know, the, the five taggers or whatever, they write their code and then they punch out and they go home and they don't think about it and they don't care about open source and they don't care about going to conferences and they don't care about writing blogs and any of that, right? And, and it was it was like a stake to my heart as a, as a passionate person to like be so invested in a community that didn't care to reflect any of that back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the first one that comes to mind. And then this one is more local. So this is, I, I put on a conference with a, friend and now boss Steve Rittler who's been on the show we it was we did just a very small local Philly thing it was called Philly Merge the idea was to get entrepreneurial people and coding people together in the same space and like what you know like focus on that crossover the the is merging of ideas right between the two and like sort of fostering the relationships and trying to help each other help, help each side improve their their skill set going in in the opposite direction and it was successful in that we like you said it kind of we broke even we didn't lose money on this thing we had t-shirts made and the t-shirts are nice we still have a couple of them and you know overall you know i think it was pretty well received but like it became very clear to me that it was this was very much outside of our mission Right. It was just a thing that we were like, we could do that. We, you know, I, I got hookups. I can get some space and I can, you know, get the word out enough that people would show up. And, you know, we probably had a hundred people show up or something like that, which was fine. Very good. <laughs> and we had, you know, some local, the, the guy, I feel like a jerk because I, our kids played together. The guy who started DuckDuckGo, <laughs> I feel, like I said, I feel like a jerk. Sorry. He's a, he's a Philly local and we met through Bar Camp Philly. And did some parent stuff together for a while among a, among a group of other parents. But he was there and, and he was on like a panel for us. So he was like a, a angel investor type guy and that sort of thing. Anyway, so th- those are the first two things that come to mind. Like I said, I, I don't dwell in my... I've forgotten the word. Failures? Well... Mort- mortifies? Is that what you- Mortifications, yes. Mortification. Yeah, I don't dwell in my mortifications. So it's just, it's just not my personality. But like I said, there's, I'm sure that there's a lot of skeletons in that closet that I'm just like, keep piling the skeletons on while I'm moving forward. Right. Yeah. Yo, cool. All right. I, I've done a lot of things wrong in, in my time. Some, I don't know how wrong they actually were, but they feel wrong. One thing that stands out for me is I just spent way, way too long trying to wrap my head around object-oriented programming. And uh, I mean, years I spent trying to think about it. And I remember back when I was really early in my career, I just thought in my head, oh, if I just do this for 10 years, then I'll know (laughs) it at the end. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. And I swear, years went by. And I'm just like, none of this made any sense. None of this felt like it was gelling or making my life any easier. And... It just felt like such a waste of time in retrospect. Uh, you know, so one thing that illustrates it, I think, so well is that early on in my Cold Fusion applications, there's a session scope, which is basically just a struct that lives across requests automatically. And I used to create a session facade component that would provide essentially methods for accessing data on the session scope. Mm hmm. And like it, it literally had zero value add whatsoever to the point where when I went and uh, revamped my blog a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, basically ripped out all of this old, awful code that was really just componentizing 
simple data structures and replaced them all with simple structs and arrays. And it just made all of the code so much easier to understand and maintain and, and edit and delete. And I just, what a, just, what a waste of time that Mm -hmm. all felt. I'm interested in the fact that you used session facade as your example, because I feel like if there's one thing that people commonly do that actually could have been a good investment of that, you know, like the boilerplate time, that might be the one that immediately comes to mind for me. Because so like if you, you know, you're, you're using session scope and you're just trying to do some like, you know, a little startup product or whatever, and it goes viral and you need to scale up, like then you can change the implementation of your session facade from in, instead of using in-memory session scope, you can tell it to use a Redis or whatever mm-hmm. to, to get external session data and, and spread that out. So now, you're, now your sessions are external to the, to the process and can be shared across load balance servers, right? So that one in particular, I think, may, <laughs> may not have been the best example, which is, you know, pot, meat, kettle, right? I'm, I'm terrible at examples when I'm on the spot, but... Uh, no, but I think, I mean, you know, even something like that, I think become can can be indicative of even a deeper problem meaning that if you think about how a request comes into the application comes into the application cfc i mean this is obviously very cold fusion specific so node people imagine that this is an express or a coa server just, <laughs> just imagine some cavemen picking up rocks and bashing them into each other and html comes out the other side okay go ahead so you have your request coming in and it's usually some sort of very high level handler and then it gets routed to some sort of a controller and the controller defers to something that contains more meaty business logic-y stuff, yeah. um, whether that's through middleware or whatnot. So if you had something like a session facade, I think you would be more inclined to start passing that session facade around so that other things could use it, which I think it's, it's like you just start to go down this bizarre OO rabbit hole Whereas what you could do at the top of your incoming request is just say, here's the cookie for this user. Let me go get the session data. And you could be going to the database. You could be going to Redis. You could be going to the session scope. And then you just pull that out as a simple data structure. And now you have that simple data structure and you can pass that around. And it's, and it, I see you're saying it. just push the data read and write for the session data to the edges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously other things have to click for things like that to happen but it it just i mean i had silly things you know just to give you a couple more examples i had an errors object that literally wrapped around an array and stored the array of errors internally but then added things like a size method instead of having a dot len Mm. i I mean and, and like for no other reason that the errors object was and i'm air quoting here semantically more meaningful Mm-hmm. than an array but really it was just an array and that's how i wanted to use it but i just felt like i had to I, I felt like i had to take everything that was a simple data structure and elevate it into right. an entity quotes you know entity not a norm just, entity but yeah yeah and and it just like it it didn't add value and it made everything more complicated sure and I just, I think about shame on you. Do you feel better now? Time, all the time <laughs> that I spend trying to figure it out. And that is time that could have been better spent. For sure. Well, I mean, and, and let's not let it go unsaid that this whole concept is exactly what inspired the triumphs and fails for this podcast, right? Yes. So that was like, that was the very first thing that we settled on for the podcast of like, you know, we want to normalize failure and, and bring those to the forefront and discuss them and, you know, help people make progress in their careers by, you know, understanding that this is just part of what everybody has to go through. Yeah. And, and what I love, so we have like a, on our Discord, we have a channel called Triumphs and Fails. And like regularly people are posting in there, you know, pretty much on, a, on almost a daily basis, either a triumph or a fail. You can, we can rejoice with when they rejoice and cry when they cry. And I, I think it's great. I, what I'd like to see is, you know, some of our listeners, if they want to put their CV of failures out there, I think it. I think it'd be educational and, and instructive. I agree. Well, that sounds like fun. And I think that there, there's a deeper thing here, which is that people feel shame in private, and they feel like they are falling short in ways when they compare themselves to other 
people in their field. Mm. And when, when people talk about not only their successes, but also their failures, and they talk about the conflicts that they have internally, you allow people to connect with that in a way that sort of gives them permission to feel the same thing. And, and I, yeah. you know, going back to my example here of, of taking simple data structures and wrapping them in complex object mechanics, I remember listening to a Rich Hickey talk. I'm sure I brought Rich Hickey up like every 10 episodes or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he has this great talk. I think it's the simple made easy talk. And he, in his talk, he says, you just use simple data structures. Your language mm-hmm. has simple data structures. You don't need to be creating lots of complexity on top of it. Mm-hmm. And hearing him say that, it was like, okay, all of this conflict and shame that I feel internally about not being a quote-unquote real programmer because I don't understand object-oriented programming, suddenly someone is giving me permission, in, in, in a sense, to release that guilt and lean into the things that I'm finding most effective. And, and there's a real power in that. Yeah, for sure. We need like a Instagram, but instead of like it's all, you know, everybody posing and, and trying to make it look like they're super rich and super influential and they got a brand deal with whoever or whatever, like it, it just needs to be like Instagram for failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's failure just, influencers. I mean, So I've brought this up a couple of times in general, just this idea that you build this mental model in your head about how you think somebody intended something. And then it turns out years later that that's not actually how they intended that to be understood. And now you've had this Mm -hmm. misconception for years. And I remember, you know, TDD, test driven development, obviously is very popular. It's been very popular for, I want to say maybe the last like 10, 10 ish years or so. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it first came out, everyone was like, oh yeah, TDD, you have to write all of your tests absolutely first. That's exactly how it has to be done. You can't do any code until you have tests that are failing. And then I remember years later, and this is maybe like four years ago, five years ago, I was listening to an interview with a guy who is like part of the whole TDD craze. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, well, what do you do when you're not even sure what your application is supposed to do? Like you're, you have a very rough idea in your head and you don't even know what your code should do. How do you write tests? And he goes, well, I wouldn't write tests at that point. That's crazy. Like, I yeah. don't know what the application is supposed to do. How can I possibly <laughs> test it? And you're like, holy <laughs> there's a whole world of programmers out there who didn't have that nuance and now mm-hmm. think that day one, you have to write tests as your very first thing because they didn't understand where you were coming into that. And I just... Oh, sorry, I'm getting all worked up now. Uh, you, what you're what you're talking about is the gap between knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll, I'll put this at rather than a individual level, like at a company level. So, one of the things that Constellation does, they you know, we buy our competitors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, <laughs> nice. They, we, yeah, and it's like it's a nice business you got there. It'd be a shame yeah, if nice. somebody came along and bought it and shut you down. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't shut them down. So they're a buy. They're a buy and hold strategy. They they don't shut them down. They don't change the name. They don't change. They don't change leadership if they're doing right. good. Just all the money goes into one bucket instead. Yeah, and so it's like we had a. In fact, I'm drinking out of one of their. Uh, InsureSoft, they they were for years, they were like our biggest competitor in the, not the payment space, this was the insurance space. And they got bought several years ago. And yeah, I just sort of had this whole like shiny vision of how amazing they were. Like their their mach- their corporation mm-hmm. was like a well-oiled machine. And they became part of the family. And like you know, part of the thing you do is like when they, you're looking to buy them, you do like a code review. And so we're looking at their stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, they're using Visual Basic. and i looked at i mean it wasn't bad visual basic but i'm like there's no well i I shouldn't say anymore but it's uh, i'm like (laughs) were you gonna say there's no good visual basic no 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 uh, no i can't anyway so it's like you reveal it you realize you know what's like you you from the outside when you see someone who who seems successful all you do is like you assign positive yeah, traits to that person mm-hmm. beyond what what they do, and it's like the more and more companies we bought, it's like we realize like all of us have the exact same problem. All of us really kind of suck at, at, at what we do, and and like we're we're trying to cover over our flaws, and so it's like I, I think that's just I I think that's why it's important to be open and honest with other other people. It's like it makes it makes you more 
relatable when people are like, you know what, we're not perfect at everything. We, you know, we fail at stuff because if you, if you put on the posture that you're, you know, perfect, the second anyone finds a, a flaw, it, it's just amplified because you're not, you're not what you've been sold. So, yeah, for sure. There, there's got to be a cognitive bias for that where, so there, so there's imposter syndrome, which is where you think that you're a fraud and you don't know what you're doing and you assume other people are smarter. But I feel like there's a macro version of that where it's mm-hmm. my company doesn't know what the hell we're doing and every other company has all of this stuff exactly. locked down. It's, yeah. it's, it's something bigger than imposter syndrome, but I've never, I'm not quite sure what it is. Mm. Well, but it's still, it's submit, still a personal feeling though, right? It, submit you, you submit a paper it on it. It might, it might get accepted. <laughs> <laughs> you don't feel it as an organization. You feel it as a member of that organization. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this topic really got away from us and, and we, we went pretty long on this. So what, you know, we're just going to have to save the, the other stuff. Ben, you want to talk about pre-mortems and I was going to talk about the, the lost art of log levels. Do so we'll just have to time. save that content for, for later. So I'm just going to start. We, 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 f- we failed at doing a potluck. Congratulations. <laughs> so I'm just going to, you know, take us to the off ramp here. So this episode of Working Code is brought to you by Tim's Akuchi. What? It's spelling me. (laughs) And listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Why do I always touch the corner of my glasses as I'm like reading the outro? I'm like, read it. Okay, grab this side. Now grab this side. It makes you very intelligent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You spelled a Gucci right, by the way. That's amazing. Did you Google it? (laughs) No. No. I just guessed. Anyway, more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs and, we, and, and our transcription costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. So special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. You guys rock. I have no idea what we're going to talk about on the after show, but I'm sure it will be uh, delightful and not at all mortifying and not at all a failure. <laughs> and if you would like to find out what we talk about on the after show, your, your time for getting a free trial of our Patreon is running out. End of the calendar year, end of 2020, what year is it? Three? <laughs> your your opportunity for getting a, a free trial of our Patreon is going to go away. So get in there and find out whatever we talk about <laughs> after this. If you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod. I'm going to say, I'm going to throw in a plug here for our Discord. Go to workingcode.dev slash discord. Come join the community. Talk to other like-minded developers. Share your triumphs and fails. Share pictures of your Akuchi. And I have to look up what does an Akuchi look like? <laughs> and careful, careful, buddy. Oh. Going in incognito mode. All right, oh, all right, all right. That's it for this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, you guys, you guys, listen, 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 you guys, you're not a failure. Your heart matters. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.